Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. After a breakaway, we're suddenly back for two pods in a week. We previewed the two semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores the, the other day. Um, but today we've got the gang very much back together. Again, as Austin and Simon both join me. Nobody called Tom this time on the pod. Um, let's go over to Simon first to see how he's getting on there in Colombia. Uh, yeah, I'm good. All good here in Colombia. Uh, enjoyed some interesting ties this week. Uh, but yeah, everything's good. Back playing football, lots of football this week for me. And lots of football in the Libertadores in the last couple of days. So looking forward to getting into it. And uh, and Austin as well. Not such a good week for 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 you this week with uh, Palmeiras losing, which we'll talk about in, in a bit. But Stoke only picking up uh, one point from six after your boast on last week's pod. Hey, it was a good point. I'll tell you that much. Considering the way we lost at the weekend, battle back, get a point, only what, like six points off the playoffs despite the fact that we're in like 14th long season in the championship, Adam. Long season. Long way to go. Indeed, indeed. Um, there isn't a long way to go in this Libertadores now. And we've got the second legs coming up soon. But let's review those first legs, which we witnessed this week not a great deal of of match action to talk about but a, a, a couple of uh, a couple of interesting goals we come on to but first of all let's uh, let's talk about Gremio's victory over river on Tuesday night um, the Brazilians the reigning champions of this Libertadores of course went to Argentina and uh, and came back with a one goal lead to take back to Alegre. Austin, I personally found this um, a very impressive, very professional performance uh, from from Gremio, and uh, and they look well set to progress for their second consecutive final. Yeah, this was. I said this on Twitter following this match, but you know, so many good performances from Grêmio over the last 12 or so months in this competition. This might have been the most impressive to me when you consider the context. Playing one of the most talented sides in South America in River Plate, you know, you look at that team sheet for River, Quintero, Bore, Palacios, Martinez, a lot of really good players. And Gremio were without two of their attack best attacking options in Luan and Everton. We said on the preview pod, I thought that they would be able to play. Neither of them were able to make it. Luan actually trained the day before, and his initial injury, which was plantar fasciitis in his foot, got better, but he actually re-aggravated a calf injury. So that's what kept Luan out from the first leg. Everton, a, a doubt all along for that first leg, wasn't able to make it either. So Gremio were kind of in a makeshift position attack-wise, but they had what has been their bread and butter in this competition for the last two years, that center-back pairing of Pedro Jaramel and Walter Kahneman, Marcelo Groi behind, and, and they were fantastic on the night. Defended so well, so composed. They were there to cut out every single river pass, and it looked like they just suffocated River Plate's space it would have been a positive performance nonetheless, but then it got even better. They won a corner with about an hour played, and right at the near post, Michel, their defensive midfielder, rose above, headed past the magnificent Franco Armani to give Gremio a huge away goal and a huge result in a 1-0 win. You have to favor them to take this second leg. I think this was, as you said, Adam, a really impressive performance. A couple of things to note. We're still not sure 
about the health of Luan and Everton as we look towards that second leg. I think there's hope in the Gremio camp for manager Hinato Caucho that he'll get at least one, if not both of those players back. But there will be one big confirmed absence for Gremio. Walter Kahneman, their Argentine center back, picked up what was probably the only uh, blemish on the night for Gremio. A yellow card with 59 minutes played for just kind of a needless coming together with Maidana in the box. You could maybe argue that the Peruvian referee, Carrillo, showed the yellow card too quickly. Regardless, Kahneman booked. That was his third of the competition. So yellow card accumulation suspension will keep him out of the return leg. That will most likely slide Bressan into that other center back position. There could be some change there. I would assume, though, that it will be Bressan. He's, he's been the player who has started in that position for Gremio when they've rotated. A fine center back, but by no means on the level of Kahneman and Argentine International. So that's something to circle as we head towards this second leg. Gremio may not have as impressive of a defensive performance as they put on display in Buenos Aires. And Simon, I know that... You found Gremio's performance as well to be to be quite impressive. What what impressed me was the fact you know they really limited River to to very few opportunities. And given the quality of uh, of, of of midfielders in that River side, Quintero, for example, a player we all love here and and one you know well. That's that that was a real achievement, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there's definitely two sides to this. I think uh, Gremio were very, very impressive. Kahneman is a real leader in the defence. Yeramal as well, Michel in front. Very impressive from Gremio. They did manage to get out as well, despite having uh, two of their most important uh, attacking players, as we've mentioned. Um, they managed it very, very well. But I do think that River didn't set up in a way to get the most out of the clear quality they have. And we saw it from Palacios having a few good shots from distance. Martinez... Uh, was was uh, beating his man at times on the wing. Uh, Quintero played some nice passes, but I do think that the River Plate setup, which was basically a four-two-two-two, was made it so simple for Gremio, and they did a job very, very well. And they're playing against River Plate players who individually are excellent, but I just didn't really see how River Plate were going to score. Um, there's obviously players who are excellent and can make something out of nothing, but. They just funneled everything straight down the throats of Kahneman and Geramel. The only mobile outlet for River was Santos Borre, but he's not massively quick or particularly strong. He does a really good shift. He's a bit of a Shane Long um, for River Plate. But Nacho Scorco, again, can finish when he gets the chances, but doesn't have a great presence. And then you're talking about three players who are standing on each other's toes with Poncio in behind. And I just didn't think this setup made things very easy for River Plate. really had to move the Gremio defence. The Gremio defence was very happy with those two centre-backs with Michel in front to drop back deep and, and fill the spaces, and they did that extremely well. But they never were put under pressure by, by movement or by width or by pace or by strength. And these are all very simplistic ways, but we've seen in the Libertadores, for a team to, to struggle to break down an opponent, what they need is a variety of, of options, movement. They need to spread the play, stretch the defence. But I think both of these ties, the Argentine sides really played a very narrow game, which relied on three or four moments of intricate quality from the players. And they have the players to do that. But stringing a, a tricky pass combined with another tricky pass with an excellent touch and a sharp bit of movement together consistently to create that opening is always going to be very, very difficult. So I think River made things incredibly hard on themselves. 
by playing such a compact central formation with little width. Uh, I just think tactically it made things very difficult and Gremio responded superbly well. But I do think River really shot themselves in the foot with this. Uh, what about you, Adam? How do you how did you see the game? Why do you think River couldn't break that that defence down? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you about the issue of the lack of width in, in, in that Riverside in, in this game. What I find quite interesting about this game, and, and I know we speak about it with the... Um, oh, sorry, I'll start again. What I found interesting about this game was was how the Brazilians kind of you know outfought the, the Argentines, which isn't something we've... We've seen that that often in the Libertadores in recent years. Um, you could say it did happen, of course, in the in the final last year between Gremio and Lanús. But but generally, the Argentine sides tend to get sort of the the, ta- the tactical battle right. Um, but certainly, it wasn't the case in this game. If you look at the stats, what's really interesting is although River had a lot more possession. They really didn't get many shots off. Um, Gremio had more shots and um, on um, off target, but they had the same amount on target, and of course they got that goal. Um, but what also is interesting, you know, they won pretty much all the major individual battles across the pitch, both on the floor and in the air. So, yeah, th- this was a this was a very professional performance from Gremio, despite only having. I think it was about 33% of the possession, I, th- I think I saw. But, you know, it was what they did when they had the ball was was just so much more effective than, than, than River. And given Gremio were missing, you know, two of their but two of their best players, that that for me makes this sort of one of the performances of the of the Liberty Stories, uh, not just in this competition, but sort of since we've been doing this pod, certainly. Also, it's worth mentioning that River Plate committed 25 fouls and Gremio committed 17 fouls. So despite not having much possession, the setup, the organisation and River Plate's inability to really put Gremio individually under yeah. great pressure meant that they committed fewer fouls than Shows the side that dominated position. No? Shows great discipline, that. Absolutely, absolutely. And it shows there's different ways of defending. It's not all about exactly. throwing yourself into a tackle, but closing off the space. Exactly. And... Uh, and I was telling you guys before the pod that you know I've, I've, I've been been on Y Scout, um, signed up for a free trial. <laughs> I think Simon, you have too. Um, and I was looking at some of the stats on there of the Libertadores overall in 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 this campaign. And um, you know, Gremio are sort of on top on a lot of them. On sort of a lot of the key stats, you know, goals, expected goals. Passes, passes to the final third, that kind of thing, and yes, there is a, yeah, you know, there is a clause to that, which is to say, you know, we have, which we have spoken about on this pod in the past, is that Gremio, you know, have had a fairly kind run to to the semi final, anyway. But yeah, I, I thought last night showed that perhaps we maybe underestimated them a little bit, um, and perhaps weren't giving them um, enough credit going in. I, I certainly fancied River to, to come on top. In this one, they still might do. There's still a second leg coming up. And if my memory serves me correctly, I think River had to come from behind um, and go away to Brazil in 2015. Uh, was it? Yeah. So Cruzeiro beat them 
1-0. It's in the quarterfinals. Cruzeiro beat them 1-0 in the first leg. And uh, and then in the second leg, River Plate came back and won 3-0. So um, there's certainly some hope there for, for River if they, if they look to the history books or, or recent history books at that. Uh, Austin, do you have any more thoughts on this one? Yeah, a couple of things. Like you said, I think it was fair to question Gremio based on who they played so far in this Libertadores. They hadn't come up against a team that had anything near the quality that River had, but they answered that question very well in this opening leg. And, and so that question is kind of thrown out the window now. And I think Renato Gaúcho, the Gremio manager, deserves a lot of credit because coming into when but, he got but not for his for stress sense. Yeah, maybe for his tactics, but not for his dress sense. Yes. Uh, but coming into last year's Libertadores and then into this year's, Hinato wasn't necessarily viewed as, as a tactician necessarily. He, he was a motivator. You know, he was brought in to, to talk to a lot of really talented players and kind of get them feeling good so they could go out and play well. And even after last year's Libertadores finished, I think that was still kind of his reputation. Ah, you know, he had Artur, Luan, uh, Everton, all, all these great players. Yeah, he did well to, to get the best out of them. But this was a true game plan that he had to come up with. And this was a true tactical masterpiece. And, and he deserves a lot of credit for that because that's kind of away from his reputation as a manager. He did very well. Looking towards this second leg, I, I'm very intrigued to see kind of how quickly River choose to, to throw everything at Gremio or if they do choose to be a little bit composed at the start because they only need a 1-0 win to force penalties. They'll have to score twice if they want to go through on the night without going to penalties. But it's not, like as you said, Adam, it, it's not that this tie is completely done and dusted. It's not like this is the other tie we're looking at with Boca Juniors Palmeiras where you say, ah, it's going to be really tough for the other side to get back. It's a task for River Plate, but they only need one goal to go to penalties. So I'm very curious to see the approach of Gallardo to see what he does, any changes he chooses to make in his 11, because this tie is still very much up there. Gremio haven't been super efficient closing out ties. Last year in the semifinal, they lost at home in the second leg after a big win away to Barcelona. They had their troubles with Estudiantes this year. So I'm very curious to kind of see how River set up. Simon, if you were Gallardo, what would you do for this River Plate side looking towards this second? Like, what changes would you make? Would you uh, keep Quintero in the 11? Would you bring him out and have him come off the bench like he has so much in this competition? Yeah, it's interesting because I, I, do, I do think they need a focal point or they need something in, in attack. You know, Nacho Scorco is a very technical player, a te player with a good quality. It's a shame. They really need to somehow mix together uh, Lucas Prato and uh, Nacho Scorco, maybe some genetic engineering um, before next leg, because they need uh, they need um, Prato with a bit of uh, Scorco's brain, for me, really, in attack. In terms of Quintero, it's difficult. I think they just need, they need options. You know, there's so many players in such a tight area. They really need to spread things and open things up. Um, so it's it's really difficult because in this game, as you say, dominated possession, looked really good, but they had fewer shots on goal and fewer shots on target than Gremio, who never looked uncomfortable in the tie. And also, as we got into the last 10-15 minutes, Gremio were in control. They weren't wasting time as we've seen other sides do. There weren't many 
desperate, cynical fouls. There wasn't really a sense that they were going to get anyone sent off. It was comfortable. So my question is, do River have the the alternatives? Do they have players to spread the game? Obviously, Gremio at home, they'll be obliged to maybe put on a bit of a performance, but you put Luan and Everton into the mix, and I think they're going to be a step above anyway in terms of their attacking play. So it's going to be interesting. I do wonder whether River Plate, for all of their quality, have the players to provide something different to this intricate passing, moving football, which is very attractive to watch. But I don't know if it's as effective against an organised side. And Gremio have shown that they're incredibly organised um, so far. But Kahneman, again, maybe there's a weakness there. We'll have to see. I, I liked Bore's movement, but I, between him and Skoko, I didn't see much in terms of a, a, a big threat, a big presence in attack. And then everyone behind is small and tricky and quality, but it relies a little bit too much on individual moments and, and really multiple excellent individual moments combining to create something collective. So I think maybe you keep Quintero in there for his dead balls, for his free kicks, which were always always a threat. But I just I think there needs to be more movement, more more options, more space generated by River in the second leg. Yeah, as much as I love Quintero, I certainly would be tempted to maybe save him for the last half an hour um, of, of that second leg um, to see. Because he does seem, and, and we saw that in a friendly recently, didn't we, Simon, with Colombia. He, he came on, had like a 20-minute spell, I think it was against the US, wasn't it? Where he had that... 20-minute spell, dominating the game, and then went off again. <laughs> um, yeah. it, it does seem like a player who works better in fits and spurts for, for whatever reason, fitness or, or maybe concentration. or, or Yeah, that, or I that think earlier in the game as well, he has to come deeper to find space. Later in the game, things open up, people are tired. He can get on the ball a bit further forward. I think earlier in the in the game when the opposition's fresh and, and organized and there haven't been any changes, he really has to move about a lot more to find the space and, and often not in the most effective areas. So yeah, there's definitely a case to bring him on late and make him get him on the ball. Because, you know, we love his passing, but he can beat a man or two as well, uh, with a, with his movement, with his balance. So yeah, it's it's gonna be an interesting one. I River have the quality, but whether they have the ammunition needed to hurt this organized Gremio side, we'll have to wait and see. And as we've seen with Gremio for now two years, basically, their most preferred style of play is what they did in Buenos Aires with a little bit more on the counter. Obviously, they didn't have the options. Uh, Alisson and Hamido aren't the players that Luan and Everton are. But if you put even just one of those players back into this Gremio 11, River is going to be playing right into their hands in this return leg in that they have to put numbers forward at some point. It, it, maybe it's not the first 15 or 20 minutes, but at some point, unless they can can kind of manufacture a goal early, River are going to have to go forward, and that is exactly where Gremio want them, to be able to hit out quick on the counter, put themselves in some three-on-two situations, and try to finish this off with a goal. So Gremio are exactly where they want to be. They have the away goal. That's obviously going to be, be critical coming back into this second leg. And River are playing right into their preferred style of play. So I think it's going to be hard for River to get back into this tie. It's certainly possible, and it's just right there. You know, all it's going to take is one moment, and they could be going through. But, man, I would not like the the prospect of having to attack this organized Gremio defense while also having to somehow 
contain that 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 counterattack that we know can be so dangerous. But how much of a miss will Canaman be in in this second leg? Do you think? You know, you're talking about the organized defense, but isn't he the organizer back there? No. I would say Jeromel is. I think Jeromel is is on a, of a higher level than Kahneman is. I think they form a really good pairing together. And if both of them were out, then it would be a big issue for Gremio. Look, Kahneman's going to be a loss. There's no doubt about that. But I think Gremio have adequate replacement players who are being put into a position that they've played a lot so far. Uh, Brasan, the, the player who I would expect would come in, has played a lot of matches for Gremio over the last two years because they've rotated their sides a lot. And he's played in big moments for this Gremio side. I believe at some point last year in the Libertadores, either Jeromel or Kahneman got suspended for a match. So I think it's a loss, and I think that's where Rivers should look to attack. But I don't know if, if it's enough to make a difference in this tie. I'd say the only other thing I'll say, I'd be surprised if, for example, Quintero and Bitti Martinez in the second leg once again fail to have much of an influence. Um, I think both of those are probably too good of a players to, to be kept quiet over 180 minutes. But um, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be a fascinating second leg coming up there still in uh, in Porto Alegre. When are the second legs, Austin? Next Tuesday will be Gremio River Plate Palmeiras Boca on Wednesday. And just to clean up that point on Kahneman very quickly, last year he picked up a needless yellow card in the second leg of the semifinals against Barcelona and was suspended for the first leg of the final against Lanús. And so in that match, Bresson came in and Gremio were able to win that match 2-1, a penalty, the only goal scored for Lanús. So again, this is a situation that Gremio had been in before. He's, he's a big loss, but I think they have the personnel to replace him properly. Let's move on to Wednesday night's match between Boca and Palmeiras. Now, in the preview pod, we did make a bit of a point of that Palmeiras went to Le Bombonaire in the group stage and came away with a victory. Um, yeah, a lot has changed since then. And when it was nil-nil after 80 minutes, it was looking pretty good for, for Palmeiras now, Austin. But, you know, two goals... Um, at the end of the game, the second, well, both scored by uh, Benedetto, um, the second of which is one of those goals which, you know, for me will live long in the memory and uh, and kind of made me want to go down the park and try and recreate it straight away. It was was one of those special goals for me. Um, it was the, let me put it this way, Adam. It was the type of goal that kept me up last night because it just kept replaying over and over in my yeah. head. That's how good it was and how painful it was to yeah. have that happen against my side. I can imagine, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so this game, especially after that second goal, is, is looking, well, I, I'm tempted to say almost over, partly because Palmeiras didn't get an away goal, and it's so dangerous, I think. Um, when that happens, so you know, if uh, if Boca just managed to get one there in in Sao Paulo, then suddenly Palmeiras need four to go through, which would be a huge ask. What are your feelings at the at the moment after after last night's defeat, Austin? 
A frustrating 10 minutes, certainly, for Palmatis. Um, they were probably fortunate to be a nil-nil after 80 minutes. Um, a side that had played so well away from home thus far in the Libertadores won every match by multiple goals in their first five away matches. Just didn't seem to have it at La Bomaneda. Certainly nothing like the performance they had against Boca Juniors in the group stage when they went away to La Bomaneda and won by two goals. It just didn't seem like any of the passes were connecting. The midfield didn't didn't play the way that they should have. Too many long balls that were kind of hit and hope for Miguel Borja, which isn't really how he plays best. Uh, Felipe Melo was fantastic at winning the ball, but then every time he won the ball, he just launched it as hard as he could at one of his teammates. And so that didn't work. I thought Palmatis were organized and were compact and composed and again, for 80 minutes, didn't really give up many chances to Boca and, and were probably feeling pretty good about being nil-nil. They created one chance themselves. Uh, Dudu had a shot from a tight angle that he couldn't steer on target. But other than that, they didn't really offer much. But you're thinking, okay, get to Sao Paulo, nil-nil, regroup, maybe come out with a different approach, change a couple of the pieces, and Palmeiras are right in this. And then uh, with about 80 minutes played, Felipe Melo puts up a high leg, catches a Boca player, that leads to a free kick, which is saved really well by Weverton. A fantastic save on the free kick to push it away. But that turns into a corner that Felipe Melo, again, makes a mistake after having played so well defensively. Steps up to meet the ball, leaves Benedetto unmarked behind. Header, boom, 1-0. So for Palmeiras at that point, 1-0 down, 83 minutes played. All right, not a great result, but you can certainly overturn a 1-0 deficit. Can't give up that away goal, but okay. And then Dario Benedetto with, with one of the goals of the competition and, and a goal that I would not be surprised to see on the Puskas shortlist for next year. A ball played into his feet. Luan, who has been such a composed defender for Palmeiras in front of him and in good position. And it's like the ball was just on a string for Benedetto. He turned and it just stuck to his foot right there. And then he just let out a, an absolute missile that, that Weberton had no chance of stopping. Ripples the back of the net. 2-0 for Boca Juniors and a long, long way back for Palmeiras. Simon, my issue wasn't so much with the approach from Palmeiras because this was kind of the approach that, that they used in most of their away matches. It just didn't feel like they played particularly well with the ball. It didn't look like they were afraid of having the ball or that they didn't necessarily want to have the ball. You know, it wasn't a whole lot of last-ditch defending. There was certainly some of that. But it, it just felt like every time the ball got to a foot of a Palmeiras player, they seemed to make a, a poor pass or the wrong decision. And so they just didn't offer anything going forward. And then it was kind of only a matter of time before Boca came up with something, even though they didn't look all that impressive until the final 10 minutes. At least that's how I felt looking at it. What did you see? Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke a little bit about before the pod. And I think we're on the same page here. I think that Palmeiras had a big opportunity. Before half time. you know, you can... See, the beginning of the game, Palmeiras were very cautious. They were winning the ball, getting it clear. They didn't want to over-elaborate in midfield, um, which is understandable. Going away to La Bombanera in an intense atmosphere, maybe you don't want to take any risks early on. But after 30 minutes, you know, I think it was really clear that Boca Juniors were pr particularly ineffective in attack and were leaving big gaps in defence. Um, and I thought there was a big opportunity for Palmeiras to look at it and go, look, guys, there's nothing to fear here. They're, they're not creating anything. They've, they had so few chances, Boca Juniors, um, less possession than, uh, than River. 
but also probably less effective and, and really just lacking completely. You know, we can talk about the Boca tactical approach, which I think was wrong. But for, for Palmeiras' perspective, I thought they'd come out of at halftime and go, look, get the manager in and go, guys, why, there's nothing to fear. Relax, get on the ball. There's space there. There's opportunities. We're getting the ball in good positions with three or four players breaking forward. I thought tactically Palmeiras looked more, uh, more threatening than Gremio. The problem is they never managed to control the ball. Um, Moises was ineffective, as you mentioned, Felipe Melo. Just, you know, you mentioned also as well, we were talking during the game that everything is 100 miles an hour. He wins the ball 100 miles an hour and then passes it 100 miles an hour, sends it up up into the sky, um, not particularly composed. I think that's what Palmeiras really lacked. Tenacious and organising defence, but when they got the ball and there was space to play into, um, they really didn't use it. From the Boca perspective, we looked to the team before the game and and I said, I think Boca are making the same mistake as River made. They played three conservative, tight central midfielders. They had Zarate in the hole and then Pavon kind of playing off Avila. And they just had no width. The same issue. They have Pavon. They have Boca juniors have the players out wide and the pace in their squad to to do what River Plate maybe aren't set up to do, to spread the play, to to scare the Palmeiras team. Palmeiras played very, very compact. You look at the positions at halftime and everyone was in the middle of the pitch and that completely suited Palmeiras. They, they weren't able to break effectively, but in terms of staying comfortable, it was, it was perfect. And I think the Colombian Sebastian Villa came on and had a really good five minutes, kind of died off in, later in the game, but that five minutes... On the right wing, immediately everything changed. The Palmeiras defenders had to pull wide to put pressure on the wingers, and there was more space in the middle. And ultimately, uh, the goals came out of nowhere. But it was a it was a cross that Benedetto put in, and it was a really nice turn where there was a little bit more space. I think Benedetto was a big upgrade on Avila, but I think tactically, Boca Juniors got it very very wrong in this game. And I think both teams underperformed um, aside from Benedetto with an incredible 10 minute cameo and I think it was a, a disappointing game from both sides because both sides could have won this game I think uh, with a different approach and a bit more composure when they had the ball but yeah I think Palmeiras really had a wasted opportunity because at half time I thought that they would they definitely had a, a counter-attacking goal in them if they just controlled the ball and made that right pass I thought there was space in this game and I don't think Boca were offering very much until late on. Uh, Adam, what about you? What about your thoughts on this one? Yeah, for me, I think I think Boca struggled for for much of this game um, because of the of the tactics, the lack of width that you've you've talked about. I think I think when you do play the formation that that Boca did in this one, it, it really relies on the on the fullbacks um, getting forward. Um, with Zerati and, and Pavon, quite narrow, um, a lot more narrow than and we're used to seeing. You would expect the the fullbacks um, to, to to push up and uh, and provide the width. It, it seemed to me that the right back Hara he, he he was doing his job on that front, but Boca were were struggling to get the the, the ball to him. Um, the left back Alaza. Alaza, um, and he, he, for me, he seemed to struggle to 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 get up the pitch. He he seemed a decent enough sort of old fashioned left back for me, but to play that particular role, he didn't really offer enough. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think if Fabra, for example, was was fit, 
you know, he would he would have certainly offered um, that that whip that that Boca were looking for when when they when they picked this tactic to go into this game. I also found it strange um, on the evidence that we saw in the end. You know that the fact that Benedetto didn't start, given um, given how poor Abilo was. Um, so. So yeah, I, th- I think I think the key man though overall for for Boca was uh, was probably Barrios there in in in, defen- in defensive midfield again. He continues to be one of the one of the best players still here in South America and uh, and and a, and a player I think we will probably lose at the end of the year and and possibly to to the Premier League as uh, as I think a lot of Palmeiras is. Uh, Poor composure on the ball. Um, I agree with Austin when he when he said that you know they, that Palmeiras were were composed, but that was off the ball, you know, in defence. But when they were when they were on the ball, they were they were far from composed. So I think one of the big reasons for that was uh, was Boca's uh, midfield. You've got Barrios in there, but you've also got Nandez and Perez who can also put their foot in there and, and play a bit too. So yeah, I think uh, I think this is well set up for for Boca to advance to the final. Now it's it's very difficult to see Palmeiras coming back from this, but possibly they could get a two 0 on false penalties. Um, but yeah, if 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 Boca score one in the second leg, then for me it's uh, it's all over. Bold of you to suggest that if Boca score one and Palmeiras need four, it might be over. Really going out on a limb there, Adam. <laughs> for me, I'm. Facts. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> well, you just suggested well, I'm, I'm, I'm in such gonna, a way that I'm not going to sit here and give you false hope. No, you just you just pr- uh, proposed it in such a way that you, you were making some sort of prediction that ah, well, if, if Boca can get one, it's hard to see if Paul made it. Well, of course it is. They'd have to score four. Um, for me, I think what's really interesting about this second leg is is this is the first time since Luis Felipe Scolari took over at Palmeiras that they're going to have to go out and attack a game. Uh, 15 matches unbeaten in the league under Scolari. They were never really tested in the Libertadores. Again, because of their group stage performance, every single opening match was away from home. They got big 2-0 wins. They kind of had two against Cruzeiro and the Copa do Brasil, but the stakes were by, by no means what they are here in the Libertadores. So this is the first time Palmeiras will have to change their tactical approach from the sit back, be composed on the ball, which they weren't at La Bombonera, but had been in other matches, and go score. So I'm very curious to see what Scolari does. It's hard for me to envision both Felipe Melo and Bruno Henrique starting. That's one too many defensive players. We saw Felipe Melo off the ball, terrific. On the ball, horrendous uh, against Boca Juniors. So you probably are, are looking at Lucas Lima maybe coming into the side to with Moises pushing a little further back uh, to give Palmeiras a bit more on the ball with Bruno Henrique, a good ball player. Uh, does Miguel Borja start at, at striker? He was really ineffective, uh, but it's not as though Davison is a great ball player either. He's 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 energetic. Uh, put his foot into a challenge, but I don't know if he's the player that you want to go out and, and try to get you two goals. So a lot of interesting tactical decisions for Palmeiras to make. 
And they have to bounce back very quickly. Uh, you look at Gremio, they've got a week to recover. They're playing a meaningless match against Sport Recife at the weekend in Brazil. It's a meaningful match for Sport, who, who might get relegated. But for Gremio, it's not going to matter one way or the other what happens there. Palmeiras don't have that luxury. Uh, on Saturday, they go to the Maracanã to face a surging Flamengo side who are just four points back of them at the top of the Brasileirão table. A win there for Palmeiras and a second title in three years looks a real possibility. A loss, they're going to be in a dogfight Flamengo down the stretch. So they have to bounce back very quickly. But I think that actually may help them a little bit because there's no time to kind of get frustrated. There's no temptation to, to rotate the squad and build up a false sense of hope. They have to go in and put in a good performance against Flamengo on Saturday. And maybe that will give them some momentum towards this second leg. Simon, aside from being composed on the ball and, and and playing with the ball, what do you think Palmeiras can do to try to overturn this? It'll be a great atmosphere, no doubt, in Sao Paulo, but, but that's not going to score them any goals. Yeah, it would be interesting to see Lucas Lima as a as a playmaker. I, you know, I don't know whether it was um, the the defence midfielders failing to find Moises or, or whether Moises just wasn't having a particularly good game, but they, we, they needed someone to put their foot on the ball. And we've seen over the last couple of years, Lucas... Uh, because Lima can be one of the best in South America at doing that. Obviously, you mentioned before that his form's not been great, but maybe this could be his platform to kind of rediscover some of that and maybe put himself, uh, become a Palmeiras fan favourite with a with a big display. Also, Dudu as well, a, a very good player, but a player who was isolated and yet didn't, you know, didn't go, didn't beat his fullback very often. And, and I think he's the kind of player who you can kind of maybe leave on the wing give him the ball and let him go one-on-one -on -one with a defender with confidence and didn't really necessarily beat the defender very often. So it'll be interesting to see. I think as well, uh, Palmeiras have to wait and see what Boca juniors do. I think if Boca go for a 4-3-3, 4-5-1 with Pavon and with uh, Vigio on the wing, I think that would be well suited to uh, attack away from home on the counter and really, uh, really scare Palmeiras, possibly force them to be a bit more conservative with their fullbacks dropping off and, and the midfield sitting a little bit deeper with the fear of that pace. And then obviously Benedetto has put a good uh, good claim on that number nine position up top. So I think maybe we'll have to see how Boca Juniors approach it. But I think if Boca Juniors played with wit and pace, uh, that maybe would affect the way Palmeiras have to be a bit more conservative and play a little bit deeper than they perhaps would like to in a game where they have to get a couple of goals. So we'll have to see. But maybe Lucas Lima could be the key and, and finally... Uh, uh, put put you know prove his uh, his worth with uh, with that big transfer uh, at the beginning of the year. Yeah, he's been quite good for Palmeiras in the league, and they have such a deep squad. I mentioned this on the preview podcast that they've rotated a lot in the league and not seen a big drop off in quality. But Lucas Lima is suspended from that league match against Flamengo for yellow card accumulation at the weekend, so it's all set up for him to come into the side in the Libertadores. And, and as you said, Simon, this is a big opportunity for him. And he's probably the type of player that Palmeiras will need if they're looking to get a couple goals. Um, one quick one for you, Austin. Um, when Weatherton saved that free kick, um, just, 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 just moments before Boca opened the scoring in, in, in this one, he, he went down injured, didn't he? Um, for, for a couple of minutes. Do you think that, Maybe that broke the concentration a little bit of the uh, of the Palmeiras defense on that. No, game. because 
he's done that every single time he's hit the ground the entirely Bertorore. So if they're not used to it by now, I don't think they're ever going to be. Uh, he claimed that he hit his back on the post, but that's kind of been the tactic from him in particular for Palmeiras. So I wouldn't read too much into that. Yeah, it gave me a wry smile when they scored from the resulting corner. Anyway, I look forward to both of those second legs coming up next week. I'm sure we all are. I'm sure our listeners are too. table who wants to just give a quick update as to where we are in the sister competition the Copa Sudamericana Austin I think we should let Simon do it considering this is the only continental competition that still has Colombian flavor left so we should give him his chance right true true very true (laughs) well I can start and then I'll hand over to you I didn't watch the big Bahia Paranese tie um well so the first game of the Sudamericana was on Tuesday uh, we were a bit distracted, but there was a game, and it was a, a kind of an interesting one. Two Colombian sides, uh, pod favorite Santa Fe at home against Deportivo Cali. Um, Santa Fe took, uh, sorry, Deportivo Cali took the lead actually. Palomeque with a header, kind of found himself a bit alone in the penalty box, um, which was disappointing. Santa Fe pride themselves on being a good organized cup team, and and they kind of let slip there for the for the big defender from Cali to to head one in and put them ahead. Uh, they in Santa Fe got a soft penalty just before half time. Uh, Wilson Morello, a, a good goal scorer at the beginning of the Libertadores campaign this year, uh, tucked it away nicely, rolled it in. Santa Fe had a late goal as well, disallowed. Uh, and in the end, uh, Cali will be happy with the, the one all draw. Cali, a team with a lot of quality, obviously, we mentioned Bernadetti before. Um, Sand, a Libertadores favourite up top as well. So th- there's a good players there. They've also got Magnelli as well. Um, so a strong Cali side, but a team in Santa Fe that's very, very organised, a cup specialist who kind of overachieved despite maybe not having the most exciting team. They always seem to put on a good performance. So difficult for them away in Cali, having drawn the first leg, but they're the, exactly the sort of team to to make get a result under tricky conditions. So should be an intriguing second tie, if not the most exciting. But Cali have got some good players, so we'll have to see. I see, one, I see one big issue for Santa Fe heading into that second leg is they can't play for a nil-nil draw away. So I'm not really sure what a tactic is going to be. You mean they scored almost two goals in this this week in this tie? So you know, there's there's always the chance. And what about the Brazilians, Austin? How did they do this week? Well, speaking of teams that can play for a nil-nil draw at home, it's the Santa Fe of Uruguay in Nacional, who got a 1-1 result away to Fluminense. Uh, An unfortunate result for Fluminense, by all accounts, outplayed Nacional in this match, but conceded a second-half goal. Uh, Zunino in the 87th minute, a late second-half goal for Nacional after Goom had put Fluminense in front. Now it's going to be difficult for Fluminense, a team that has probably one creative player you'd trust uh, 
in Junior Sornosa, the Ecuadorian playmaker, to go and have to break down what we know will be a really organized Nacional side. Not impossible, uh, but nil-nil feels like it could very well be the result for Nacional that would send them through. Uh, that would eliminate one of the remaining three Brazilian sides as we head towards the quarterfinals. The other two are facing off in another quarterfinal, Bahia and Atlético Paranaense. Uh, Bahia, unlucky in this match. At home at the Fontanova in Salvador. Played quite well, scored twice in the first half, but both times our old friend, the video assistant referee, came in and chopped out the Bahia goals. So then Atletico Paranaense ended up scoring in that second half for a 1-0 win. Unlucky for Bahia, they were, of course, uh, displeased with the VAR. They'll have an, an uphill task against Paranaense, which is a shame because it, it would be fun to see Bahia have some continental success. I know they're a side that you quite enjoy, Adam. Great kits, great stadium, great atmosphere, certainly more so than I think the other two Brazilian sides that are left. But it's going to be difficult for them to get back into this tie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Down <laughs> with VAR, is what I say. Um, <laughs> and the last, yeah, last that, game, just, a, just that, to give you guys a head up. Yeah. That should be a pretty good game tonight, no? Um, well, by the time this pod goes out, our <laughs> listeners will know the result. But um, let's preview it a little bit anyway. <laughs> yeah, preview it for ourselves. But uh, it should be an interesting game. Defense Justicia, I've heard, I haven't seen much of them, but I've heard good things, some good attractive football. Junior have a lot of good attacking players. Not the best at defending. Uh, Victor Cantillo in the middle. Teofilo Gutierrez up top. Uh, Luis Diaz cut international. So, Junior definitely have the quality. I'm not always convinced by their tactics. But that should be an exciting game. Although it's already happened, so it almost certainly wasn't. Um, but a couple of good teams there as well to finish off the Sudamericana quarterfinalists. I feel like we should record two previews for that game, Simon. And then Adam can just edit in whatever happens in that result. And you can you can look pretty good. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, very, very disappointing, boring game, Junior and Defensa Justicia. We thought they were good, but they were actually rubbish. So, sorry for anyone who watched that. There we go. Done. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's go round the virtual table and uh, find out if you've got anything to plug. First of all, Simon. Uh, yeah, so on Twitter, at Simon Edwards SAF. Uh, what do I have to plug? Uh, just follow me. I need 75 people to get to 5,000. So just follow me. Just I'll say something interesting. Now, I, I do some Colombian stuff. So Colombian League stuff. Coming to the end of the Colombian League. Uh, and also transfer rumours. Campusano to Boca. Wilma Barrios to Tottenham. I don't know. We'll have to see. But football stuff on my Twitter. At Simon Edwards SAF. Austin? Unbelievable. Unbelievable in your thirst for followers. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Austin underscore James 906. Brazilian League is, is coming to an exciting conclusion. Obviously, the Bertorore stuff as well. We've got a couple of scouting spotlight pods that are out on the feed now. Matias Vargas, who's had an interesting couple of years at Villa Sarsfield in Argentina. And then Lucas Paqueta, who's moved to AC Milan, is all but confirmed. So any AC Milan fans looking to break down Paqueta, there's that to listen to as well. We'll be heading into the studio to record a couple more scouting spotlights in the next couple of weeks uh, for some of those players who, who Simon mentioned who, who could be on the move from Colombia, as well as maybe some Brazilian players as well. So keep a lookout for those. And Adam, yourself? Yeah, you can find me at AdamBradson84 on Twitter. Nothing new on the South American side of things being published by me this week. Um, I have got something about uh, about Norwich, but um, that's not really for this pod. Um, yeah, so 
yeah, just uh, just follow me on Twitter for overexcited uh, reaction to Norwich victories and uh, and some criticisms and praise of South American football and uh, the constant fight against fascism goes on as well. So yeah, follow me on there. Right, okay, just to round up this pod, I'd just like to say a huge thanks to Simon Austin for joining me on the pod once again. Huge thanks to our listeners, and rate and review us on iTunes, and it's goodbye from me, and goodbye from the guys. Goodbye. That's when you got to join in. Bye. <laughs> We've been through this before. Happy to say, um, Wilson, and we'll be back next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They've already qualified for the group stage. Yeah, That's absolutely. Easy. When is, do we know when Eddie Zantano's drug suspension is over? Oh, uh, yeah. I keep meaning to look that up. The headline coming up in Bolivian news. Bolivia.com. <laughs> Here's, is Edwin Zantano receiving una duro sanción por doping? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, Eddie. <laughs> oh, not our king. Ah, uh, uh, but he's he's kind of he's kind. It of, sounds like he's kind of got to get out because it seems like they've decided to backdate the suspension to fourteenth of February last year. Yeah, so backdate is that correct term then? I'm confused now. How can you backdate a suspension when he was playing? Yeah, well, this is a this is this is the thing, but. It says here that it's the 14th of February of this year, and he will finish it on the 14th of February 2019. It was a year squad. So he should, if if they've qualified directly for the group stage. Here, but yeah, so this is what's going to happen. This is going. This is this is their elimination. Yeah, yeah, this This is how somebody gets through from the group stage next year. Give you a leap year, so <laughs> <laughs> we are better prepared on Hoy Wilsterman's admin than Jorge. <laughs> <laughs> I see here that Jorge Wilsterman renewed his contract, so that's good. Yeah. Oh yeah, loyal, loyal to the end to King Jesus Eddie. So, <laughs> the, the president of Wilsterman, his first name is Grover. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a neighbor in a US sitcom or something. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, <laughs> the drug the drug that he took was to lose weight. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Man, we've hurt his feelings. He's obviously listening to the pod. Come on, King Eddie, no, you need to understand, dude. We love you just as you are. If you lose weight, you're significantly less fun. He consumed it in a nutritional supplement and has not stopped using it because he felt that it was useful for weight loss. Oh, King Eddie.